Some nightmares are so frightening that we're left gasping for breath upon awakening. I think we can all relate to that experience, but would you be able to handle a terrifying vision sent from God in the form of a dream? St. John Bosco had a number of terrifying visions like that, including being attacked by a demonic toad for not recounting his dreams to the oratory boys. We'll learn how he fended off this hideous monster and also the reason for its appearance in this episode of The Miracles and Prophecies of St. John Bosco, a project of America Needs Fatima. I'm your host, Matthew Miller. On Wednesday, April 29th, Don Bosco announced to the oratory students, I have something special to tell you tomorrow night, Friday, and Sunday night. I think I would die before my time if I failed to do so. But what I have to reveal is very disagreeable, and I wish the artisans to be present as well. On the following night, the artisans came from their portico, where Father Rua or Father Franchesia usually addressed them after night prayers and they joined the students. Don Bosco thus addressed them. My dear boys, I said last night that I had something unpleasant to tell you. It's a dream I wasn't going to talk about because I thought it was only a dream, and because some remarks and objections have been made whenever I talk about my dreams. However, a second dream forces me to reveal the first, and especially because, for the past few nights, particularly the last three, I have been assailed by nightmares. As you know, I went to Lenzo for a little rest. On my last night there, no sooner had I fallen asleep than I dreamed as follows. I saw in my bedroom a most loathsome toad, as big as an ox, that squatted at the foot of my bed. I stared breathlessly. It was green, and its legs, body, and head swelled and grew more and more repugnant, his fiery eyes, red-lined mouth, and throat presented a terrifying sight. His bones were made of fire, and his bony ears were very small. I kept staring and muttering, but a toad has no ears. I also noticed two horns jutting from its snout, and two greenish wings sprouting from its sides. Its legs looked like those of a lion, and its long tail ended in a forked tip. Initially, I didn't feel afraid, but became terrified when the monster began edging closer to me. He opened its enormous, tooth-studded jaws and looked like a demon from hell. I crossed myself, but nothing happened. Rang the bell, but no one responded, shouted, but in vain. As the monster would not retreat, I asked, What do you want of me, you ugly devil? It crept forward, as if answering, and stretched its ears, which pointed upward. It then paused momentarily, resting its front paws on the top of the headboard and raising itself on its hind legs. It looked at me and crawled forward until its snout was close to my face. I felt such horror that I tried to jump out of bed, but the monster opened its jaws wide. The monster was so hideous that I didn't touch it, even though I wanted to defend myself and shove it back. I cried out and reached for a small holy water font, but I only hit the wall. In the meantime, the hideous toad managed to put its mouth around my head so that half of my body was inside its foul jaws. 
In the name of God, I screamed, why are you doing this to me? At these words, the toad drew back and let my head go free. I again crossed myself, and having managed to dip my hand in the holy water font, I flung a few drops at the monster. It fell backward with a frightening shriek and vanished, but at the same time a mysterious voice from on high clearly said, Why don't you tell them? Father Lemoyne, director of Lanzo, woke up with my screams and heard me pounding on the wall. In the morning, he asked me, Don Bosco, were you having nightmares last night? Why are you asking? Because I heard your screams. I then realized that God wanted me to reveal what I had seen. I therefore felt obliged in conscience to tell you everything and also rid myself of these nightmares. Let us thank the Lord for his mercy and strive to carry out his admonitions no matter how he chooses to make them known to us. And let us use the means he sends to save our souls. These dreams made me know the state of conscience of each of you. Nevertheless, I wish you keep what I'm going to reveal to you within these four walls. Please do not write about it or talk about it outside the house because such things are not to be ridiculed, as some people might do, and because I want to avoid unpleasant complications. I'll tell you these things in confidence as a father to his beloved sons, and you should listen as though your own father were telling them. So here are the dreams which I would rather forget, but am obliged to reveal. I began having them at the very beginning of Holy Week, on Sunday, April 5th, and they went on for many miserable nights. These dreams exhausted me so much that in the morning I felt more tired than if I had worked all night. I was also greatly alarmed and upset. The first night I dreamed I was dead, the second that I was standing before God's judgment seat to settle my accounts. However, each time I woke up and realized that I was alive and still had time to prepare better for a holy death, the third night I dreamed that I was in heaven and surely enjoyed it, but everything vanished as I woke up in the morning. However, I felt determined to earn that eternal kingdom which I had glimpsed, no matter what the cost. So far, these dreams had nothing to do with you, nor would they have any meaning to you. When you fall asleep with something on your mind, your imagination starts working and you dream about it. I dreamed a fourth time, and this is the one I must tell you about. The night of Holy Thursday, April 9th, I had hardly dozed off when I dreamed that I was standing in these porticos, surrounded by our priests, clerics, helpers, and boys. Then you all seemed to vanish and stepped into the playground with only Father Rua, Father Caliero, Father Franchesia, Father Savio, and young Preti. Joseph Buzetti and Father Stephen Rumi a good friend of ours from the Genoa Seminary stood a little distance away. Suddenly the oratory as we now know it changed its appearance and looked like our house in its very beginning when only those just mentioned were there. At that time our playground adjoined vast open fields stretching up to the citadel meadows where our boys often strayed in their games. As we sat conversing about the affairs of the house and the progress of the youth, behold, 
Here in front of this pillar supporting the water fountain near the entrance to the old Pinardi shed, we saw a beautiful vine sprouting from the earth, the same vine that once stood in that place. We marveled that the vine reappeared after so many years and asked one another about what on earth that meant. The vine kept growing to about a man's height and spread its shoots in vast numbers and in all directions. It soon spread so far as to occupy our whole courtyard and beyond. Strangely enough, its shoots didn't grow upward, but stretched parallel to the ground like an immense arbor with no visible support. Its leaves were green, and its long shoots were surprisingly healthy and strong. Handsome clusters of grapes soon came forth, grew, and took on their typical purple color. I and those around me look on in amazement and asked, How did this vine grow so soon? What will it be? And I said to the others, Let's wait and see what happens. Please subscribe and join me for part two of this episode on Wednesday, where we'll learn more details about this mysterious vine. Thank you all so much for watching, and Godspeed.